This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor for Yankees Magazine. Joining me from his car in the dark. I wish you could see this picture, but only I get to enjoy this one. We have MLB.com's Yankees reporter, Brian Hoke. Brian, how you doing? I'm doing great, John. And in my defense, it is the quietest place uh, in a house with two little kids running around and uh, and Lord knows what else happening. So, um, no, this is uh, if we're going to record a podcast out in the car in the driveway is the place to do it. In 2020, as we all remember from Brian Hoke's book, The Bronx Zoom, so much of reporting on the Yankees was done on Zoom. And one, one of the weird joys of it was that anytime you would join one of these Zooms, it would be like, OK, where is everybody right now? Because some people would be doing the Zoom with Aaron Boone while out walking their dog or something like that. Other people would be in their cars. <laughs> and it was just this really silly, stupid thing. I know there were times that like my room where I do this was a little bit messy and I would hear from like six different people like, hey, maybe clean up the laundry behind you. Yeah. So so, you know, th- that stuff was always fun. Uh, the reason I bring this up is because during the travel day from New- Houston to New York during the LCS was the first time we had a Zoom presser in a while. They did Zoom media availability. Right. And I just remember uh, Brendan Cuddy from uh, NJ.com <laughs> just doing his presumably from a car from the airport based on the time it was. Mm-hmm. And it was just so nice to have that back in our lives of like <laughs> watching our fellow beat writers uh, live their lives while also doing the job. So, Brian, I-, I applaud you for finding the quiet space in your car. And I just hope you don't <laughs> kill your battery while you sit in there. No, it'll be all right. I feel like we're all happy that the world went back to 2019, but it is nice to have that tool in the tool belt and remember, oh, we could, we can do this. We proved that uh, in that very limited scenario, it did work. And like I said, you can read all about this in the Bronx Zoom by our guest, Brian Hoke. Brian is also the author of Baby Bombers and Mission 27. I, I, he's really the bard of the New York Yankees, is I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure what he's called these days. Are you? Whose voice matters more than mine? Um <laughs> So I think, Brian, what we can do today is we could talk a little bit about, you know, what's ahead. And I said this in the last episode. I'm going to say it again here. You know, the stuff that you want us to do, you want us to tell you exactly who's going to sign where and when and for how much money. Not only do we not know it, but this just isn't the place for that. There's hundreds of other other podcasts that you can get from. But I am very interested in, Brian, your take on how you see the next few weeks and months playing out, what signs you're looking for to understand how the offseason is going to progress. And then the other thing, as always, I'm always fascinated by just when your life goes from 100 miles per hour to, you know, negative three miles per hour, professionally, at least, you still do have two young kids, uh, you know, how, how you uh, adjust and how, how you fill your time. But before we do any of that, I, like I said, I mentioned the Bronx Zoom. Brian, I, I, I heard uh, you, might, you might have a little announcement that you want to make right here. 
putting me on a spot. My announcement is that I am working on a book, very, very uh, preliminary in the early stages, but it will be, a, it's, the title is 62, so you can figure out what it might be about. So it's going to take you through all the twists and turns of Aaron Judge's chase for uh, that 60-second home run this past season, and we're going to touch on all the great home run chases in uh, in baseball history. So obviously a lot of Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle there the summer of 61, but uh, we're going to delve into all of it. Um, you know, Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, they'll all be key characters, and of course the, uh, the great Bambino, Babe Ruth. So uh, kind of how that all ties together with Aaron Judge and what we just experienced this past year, uh, great home run chases in baseball history that's kind of the the goal so uh that'll be coming very soon we're gonna start uh start digging and start talking to people and and working on that so got another one in the hopper here that's really awesome first off good for you good for yankees uh fans who get to read this stuff obviously uh, you know we've mentioned it a lot of times on this podcast I, I, your books are just a, such a great window into what you see and what you get to do year round and and I, I do love how different it is just from the day-to-day coverage that you provide so well. Obviously, what fascinates me about this Project 62 is something that we have spoken about. Both you and I have spoken about it, but also certainly on this podcast. One of the joys of this year's home run chase was I, I take out all the negativity. I take out all the nonsense. I take all, out all the, is it the record? Is it not? I could not care less about that stuff. But for Yankees fans, when you're talking about what Aaron Judge was doing this year, yes, he was pursuing some version of baseball history. Yes, he was, you know, touching numbers that had never been seen in the American League before. But it was all Yankees history, too. And that was what I found so yeah. fascinating. It was just basically like a story that was like scripted in Monument Park in a lot of ways. And you didn't get that in 1998. And you didn't get that in 2001. And again, I'm not I'm not getting into a conversation about what was good or bad about those years. I'm just saying it, this was very different because this just felt like for Yankees fans, the stories that they grew up with. It became very real for a summer because you were talking about Yankees. You were talking about Yankees history and Yankees stories. And I I know I can't wait to see how you handle that in the book. What I love, and thank you, John, what I love about the Judge home run chase is you have three Yankees right fielders. They all played the same position for the same team in different generations. Babe Ruth in 1927, Roger Maris in 1961, and then Aaron Judge in 2022. And the fact that their uniform numbers, three, and then it goes to nine, and then a two nines on Judge's back, 99. I mean, it all just kind of connects there. Um, I just think it's it's kind of a beautiful story there about how Ruth to Maris to Judge and uh, what that means for the franchise and what that means for, for baseball history. And, yeah, we're not going to pretend that nobody else has ever hit 62 or more home runs because, of course, it happened, but – the fact that these three guys hit 60, 61, and 62 in New York City for the same team, I think that's meaningful, and I think that's uh, that's definitely the meat and potatoes of the book that I want to explore. It saddens me, the people who spent so much time on the what the record actually was and not enough on just like how cool is what we're watching right now. And, you know, again, that uh, I hope every one of those people who spent the uh, summer – trying to tell us what this wasn't this year we'll read your book to learn what it was i, I really do because I, look, it, it was I, pretty special I, li- I lived the summer of 98 like that was great i mean that was great for baseball it was so important for baseball and you know some of the stuff that's come out obviously with mcguire and sosa and, and barry bonds like i think we look at that 
differently here that it was synthetic in a way. And but at the time, the moment, it certainly um, felt important and awesome. And and I, I think that it doesn't diminish the joy that I think we felt in that moment and needed. But uh, this judge home run chase, I think, was uh, different in a lot of ways. And from that Maguire Sosa race, which uh, yeah, I, I just think, especially for for somebody who's around the Yankees every day, it it fits into Monument Park perfectly. And I, I think you mentioned that there too. That this was almost scripted in a way that you have these three Yankee right fielders of different generations, and they couldn't be more different. You know, imagine if Babe Ruth or Roger Maris had to deal with Twitter or anything that we're going on there if Babe Ruth had an Instagram I think it would have been fascinating I, I'm sure that Babe would have gotten himself in some trouble there I for, for his own sake I'm thrilled that Roger Maris didn't have to deal with it because I think he, he had enough going on Brian obviously you know this so well we I, I joked about it at the top here you're you know in Houston you're in New York whatever you know everything's kind of moving faster than you can possibly keep up with and then much like for the players it just ends and you know it's funny because it feels like it was yesterday that it ended meanwhile the world series is over the gm meetings are going on right now or maybe not when you listen to this but they're going on right now in las vegas you know the 2023 season in a sense has begun players are filing for free agency or you know declining their options all these things uh 2022 is over so what i would like for you to know is how there's so much, and again, we're, I, we're not, we don't know if Aaron Judge is going to sign with the New York Yankees or with anyone else. That, that's not what this is about. But I, I tried asking this of Brian Cashman in the wrap-up press conference, and I wouldn't say I got an answer that he kind of filibustered the answer. But I want your take on this because, yeah, I mean that, that's pretty par for the course. I want I want your take on this because obviously, anytime. Look, there's a prize for the Yankees in the free agent market right now. We we know what Plan A is. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if you think it's different when plan A is a free agent on a different team versus when plan A is a free agent on your team. Is it different to be pursuing someone like Garrett Cole, you know, and knowing, okay, if we don't get him, here's what we need to do, blah, 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 blah. But our team is what it is right now versus things go one way or the other, but like we don't have necessarily a right fielder right now. Um, right. and, and, and we, we need to address that situation somehow. How does that change the calculus? Do you think? Well, I think the, the biggest difference is you don't have to go through the dog and pony show of trying to sell a guy like Aaron judge on New York city. And I, I was talking to CC Sabathia about this, uh, uh, last week. And he said, no, there's nothing you need to do. He knows what this place is. He knows what New York is. It's going to be. For those other teams, whether it's the Giants or the Dodgers or whatever name you want to throw out there, they can bring him in and wine him and dine him and show him, hey, you could live here and this could be your life. He knows what his life would be in New York City and because he's already living. it, He knows what it is to be a star in New York. So you don't need to kind of explain to him why he should want to be a Yankee. I, I think that it's just going to come down to putting the biggest check on the table and, and uh, making it happen that way. But I, I think that for a player like Garrett Cole, who is a free agent, uh, that was fun for him. Uh, the fact that the Yankees kind of rolled out the red carpet there, they flew Andy Pettit in there to kind of tell him what being a Yankee was going to be like. I remember Garrett kind of gushing there and uh, telling his friends uh, in the next week or so, he's like, 
I have Andy Pettit's number in my cell phone now. And so that I think it was really cool um, for them to put on that full court press and, you know, go, go back years now and uh, talk about what they did with CC Sabathia and kind of showing him around Las Vegas and, um, you know, giving him that pitch there of this is why you should be a Yankee, why you should relocate. I mean, that's, I think that's the cool part. And I think that players enjoy that. The fact that, um, you know, they want to be shown around and they want to feel pursued and loved. But at the end of the day, I think it all is going to come down to the dollars. I mean, you can buy a guy the best steak dinner ever, but um, if you're not putting the years and the dollars he's looking for on the table, that's not alone going to sell it. So the ballpark tours are cool. Seeing your your picture in the Photoshop uniform is on the, on the scoreboard. That's cool. But at the end of the day, I, I do think that um, this is a business and these guys have earned the right for free agency to to pursue the high bid if that's what the, they want. And obviously, a guy like Judge and all these other free agents here, you know, more than 100 of them on the market, they're going to have some uh, significant decisions to make. But I feel like for the Yankees in their situation, we know what their plan A is. And I don't think they can do much until they know if Judge is coming back or not because of how big it's going to be. And if he doesn't come back, then you're going to have a huge amount of money, whatever it was going to be, X number of dollars per year, and that and move that around the chessboard on other pieces. But obviously, everybody connected to the Yankees, they're, you know, their plan A, plan 1A, plan B, plan C, it's all – Judge must be back as the Yankees right fielder. If he's not, you pivot and you figure out what else you were going to do. But I, I can't see much happening in the Bronx. Obviously, they picked up Luis Severino's option. That was kind of a no-brainer there. But uh, until you know if Judge is going to come back or not, I don't think you can do much this offseason because so much really does hinge on that one decision. So then I guess my question is, how much can the Yankees control that timeline, though? Because... It's one thing to say, you know, there are certain players the market simply waits for. And and you've seen that a lot of times in the past where, you know, everyone kind of, you know, clears the decks in a little bit until the, the big names sign. But obviously, if at some point some, you know, teams start making moves, is there anything the Yankees can do short of just, you know, adding a zero? I mean, I, I'm joking when I say that, but whatever. Right. What can the Yankees do to control maybe their timeline and their planning in any way, to, to your knowledge? Well, I guess their one option would be to draw a line in the sand and say, if you don't agree by such and such date, then we're moving on. And and then it's goodbye. I, I don't see the Yankees wanting to do that. Um, I, I guess that's the one kind of ace in their, uh, their, in their deck that they could play there, but that could backfire hugely. So I, I think that you go into it, you let judge have his time. I, I don't think this is going to happen before the winter meetings. Let's, let's put it that way. Uh, that's when Garrett Cole's uh, contract got done at the winter meetings in San Diego. So that's the first week of December there. Uh, I think that's going to kind of kick into high gear. And um, uh, whether it gets done at the winter meetings, like the way that Garrett Coles did, I don't know. But uh, you know, sure would be nice for uh, those of us living and dying with the offseason here and covering every day to know it's going to happen in December. I don't think that these teams are going to want to – drag on here because remember it's not just the Yankees it's whatever team is interested in Aaron Judge I don't think they're going to want to delay their offseason plans until January either so I really do think that um, probably not in November December seems to be the sweet spot for me and and because he's the biggest piece 
it's on that board there. A lot of other deals will follow once that gets done. How do you look at the calendar? Like you said, you know, December is the time when things start clearing up a little bit, cleaning up a little bit, if you will. Obviously, you know, we're going to have roster decisions made sometime in the next few weeks. And then you have the Rule 5 draft and you have all that stuff. It's funny to think back because a year ago, you know, baseball free agency and baseball roster moves happened in basically like a two week period um, between the end of the lockout and the beginning of spring training. You know, what what are the dates kind of that you have circled where you, you're you're really paying attention to right now and that you think Yankees should be paying attention to? Well, I mean, yeah, all of the above for sure. I mean, that, that's all on the uh, the offseason calendar and it, it does kind of follow the same formula like i mentioned i think you're going to see some smaller fish come off the board early and then you're going to get the big ones the big moves uh, I, I feel like the whole offseason is orchestrated now to kind of push things into that winter meetings week and i think that's by design i mean you're going to have wall-to-wall coverage on mlb network you know it's not like the old days when there was just a bunch of newspaper guys and a rotary telephone at the at the winter meetings you know this is now kind of a showcase for baseball and they're, they're going to be in San Diego. We're finally going back to an in-person winter meetings, which is awesome. And um, I, I feel like that's going to be an event there. And I, even if things don't get done during that week in San Diego, I, I feel like it lays the groundwork for things to happen right up until they, uh, they break for Christmas, probably not a lot going to get done in that, that week there for Christmas to new year's. But then, a lot of times you come right out of the, the gates there in January two or three, things start to come off the board again. And and that's when I think players start to get a little antsy. Once you see New Year's celebration, you know, Times Square gets cleaned up, people, a lot of those free agents look up and they say, uh, spring training is in six weeks here and I don't know where I'm going or where I'm supposed to go. I think that kind of moves the market there too. So uh, the big, big money deals I, I think are going to come in December and then in January, you're going to start to see a few other uh, pieces there, no less important to, to rounding out uh, what a roster is going to look like. Because I think that when this game of musical chairs ends and pitchers and catchers report, uh, the, the most beautiful name, uh, words in the English language there, pitchers and catchers report, nobody wants to be sitting at home for that. And so uh, I, I'm certainly looking forward, more than anything else, I'm looking forward to right around February 14, 12, whatever it is, Yankees pitchers and catchers report to Steinbrenner Field. That uh, that's my favorite day of the baseball offseason. So obviously, this time of year, I would say the Hoke family is always a big part of uh, you know your, your your regular coverage. Certainly, Penny is a global superstar. Well, your entire family, yeah, sure. obviously, you know you, you, you like you like to bring them along. You like to have some fun with them. What, what has been? What was the best family trip of this year for you guys? Well, you know, I think. The most unexpected one was the Yankees were at Fenway Park, and um, I had the girls up with me, Connie and Penny and Maddie. We were all up there, and I was supposed to have three days off after that Boston trip. So we were planning to have a little uh, New England kind of vacation there. We were going to take a little break, and Judge hit, if I'm remembering correctly, I think he hit 57 or 58 at Fenway Park, and uh, it was Obviously, he's getting very close to 60, and the bosses at MLB said, yeah, I know you were supposed to be off, but uh, we'd like you to go to Milwaukee just in case he has a three-homer game or something and uh, ties or breaks the record. And I said, all right, well, I've got my car in Boston. What do you want me to do here? Like, I, I don't have time to go all the way back to New York and still make it to Milwaukee. So long story short, 
what we wound up doing was road trip to Milwaukee from Boston, which uh, is a long drive. I, I, not as long as the uh, the one I did to Iowa uh, a couple of years ago <laughs> for the Field of Dreams game. But uh, well, I feel like for some reason I am I've got the market corner now on long road trips to Middle America, and um, so it was a, it was a beautiful drive. It was a great weekend. We had a lot of fun in Milwaukee, a place that uh, Connie and the girls had never been, and so we got to kind of experience that. Um, Judge threw Penny a ball during that series. So that was very memorable. And uh, they got a great view. They had fantastic seats. And uh, Judge had a two-homer game there in Milwaukee. So uh, it was crazy. It was, it was really cool that uh, they were able to, to latch on and see history. I know uh, they wanted to see 60 or 61 in person. They weren't able to do that. But um, to, to have them there for a game where Judge hit a couple homers and, uh, you know, <laughs> Penny got a ball from, from Judge in right field. Uh, that was that was awesome. So that was probably my most memorable weekend of the season. Long road trips to the Midwest. I, I think that's my fifth book there for you, Brian. Man, and you know what else we got? We Of course, if we're going to drive to Wisconsin, we had to get the cheeseheads. So we got a couple cheeseheads there. Somewhere between Chicago and, and Milwaukee, there was this cheese castle. And we pulled over and got the uh, the cheese. It was called the Mars Cheese Castle. Look it up if anybody's on a long road trip. That is a, a great stop. We got cheese heads there. We bought a, probably about $50 worth of cheese, put it on ice, and drove it back. And uh, so we uh, we imported our own cheese on that road trip, too. And, and by the way, we stopped in Chicago and got some deep dish pie. So that was also uh, all part of the road trip, you know? Unbelievable. Certainly you ended your season in Philadelphia, <laughs> trying to eat <laughs> yes. your way through Reading Terminal Market. A any particular favorites there that you look forward to in the next uh, Yankees trip to Philadelphia? I am a convert now on the pork, the roast pork sandwiches. I, I, uh, obviously, everybody goes to Philadelphia, and I was helping out with World Series coverage. You, the first thing you think about is cheesesteak, and I've had a billion cheesesteaks in my life. Somebody told me about the Denix roast pork with Broccoli, Rob, and Sharp. That is the order you go to there in Reading Terminal Market. And it lived up to the hype. It was fantastic. Denix roast pork in the uh, the Reading Terminal Market. If you're in Philadelphia, it's only 99 miles down the road from New York, by the way. Easy drive. And um, that's the thing to get. And it was awesome. Well, you heard it here, like, not first, maybe one millionth. So there, there you go. Brian, obviously, you know, you, you mentioned certainly – going back in person to the winter meetings and and how the baseball offseason has in a lot of ways become like a MLB network spectacle in some senses. One thing that I find interesting is, is I feel, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, you can tell me I'm off base. I feel like in a lot of ways, the <laughs> preemptive, I like it, stake your claim. Uh, certainly, I, I think the sports media in general has kind of been separated into, you know, the transactions guys and, and the game coverage guys in, in a lot of ways. To the extent that, you know, when you think about, and again, we'll use Aaron Judge here as an example, how much of your life and your thinking is trying to break down any details there? Or or do you just feel like MLB.com has guys who do this? That's not that's not my lane. Well, we do. Uh, you know, Mark Feinstein is our transaction guy, quote unquote, and he does a great job at it. But that doesn't mean I don't want to break news. I mean, look, if, if I can break the Aaron Judge is signing with Team X for X amount of money. Like, if I have that, I'm I'm certainly not going to pass it off to Mark. You know, I, I want I want to break news just as bad as they do it. But they're very good at it. They uh, 
the Jeff Passons, the John Hammonds of the world, um, you know, Joel Sherman at the Post. These guys are, are rock stars. They're all stars. And it's hard to break news. Uh, you spend a, a lot of the time, uh, and you can talk to Mark about this too, but I know that when Mark made the transition to executive reporter from coming from a beat background, he suddenly realized that you're not just covering one team and the ins and outs of that organization. You need to go what, know what's going on with the executives in all 30 teams and develop that network. And uh, it's hard. And I know his first season there was rough and he's, he's obviously roll off and rolling now and he's crushing it out in Vegas, but it's, it's, it is a competitive sport. And that's, I think why you see them uh, giving their little hat tips to each other and their credit, you know, catching up on credit on Twitter. And I think for the people at home, that's kind of a game within the game. They don't really care. They just want to know that the information is correct, but, uh, I think that when you're living your life there, trying to beat out a, a Jeff Passan or a John Heyman or a Ken Rosenthal, um, yeah, you want to take a little victory lap when you when you can get ahead of them. But um, you know, for for those of us, you know, for the fans who are waiting at home to to have the transaction news, I don't know if they necessarily care who had it first, just as long as it's right and that your team got the guy. So I think it's kind of yeah, I I see it from both perspectives there there. What's your like baseball diet during the off season? How how do you obviously? I'm, I'm I know that you're still working. I know that you're still staying on top of things. I know you're still certainly writing a lot. You know, but but how, what do you maybe take a break from? What do you maybe uh, dial back a little bit? <laughs> I, I thought you were asking me if I was going to go on a diet. The that, that's a that's a different podcast, which, Brian. Which which honestly, after what I ate during the World Series, would not be a terrible idea. Um. Yeah, honestly, at this point, I'm I'm kind of hungry for baseball. Not to belabor the uh, the food analogies there, but it ends so abruptly. And you touched on this before: is that during a postseason? All right, you know, like this is going to be two or three weeks of fly, fly, fly. Go go to this hotel. Go to this ballpark. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Get there. Get there. Get there. And you're going to Cleveland, and you're going to Houston, and then all of a sudden, boom, it, it's over. And it's like, wait, what do I do now? And, you know, I, I, I always say that one of the worst days of the year is when you walk out of the ballpark for the last time, because we, at least I live my life on a, a baseball clock where, uh, you know, where the players are going to be, you know, what time is batting practice is going to be, you know, where to go. Um, you, you really get in a rhythm of it. And is it physically demanding? Yeah. Is it mentally exhausting? Yeah. But I love it. And I think that, um, you know, this is all I ever wanted to do was be around baseball and, and be, you know, part of the game in some small way. And um, the opportunity to do that and not and just, you know, not just be around it, but be part of it and talk to the people who are in it. It really is a dream job for me. And so, you know, I think that there's a, a detox period when the season's over, we kind of all right, wow. I now I have time to kind of play with my kids or we can go to this park and like. Earlier today, I took the kids to the playground, which uh, if the Yankees were playing a seven o'clock game, I wouldn't have been able to do. So, I mean, you know, that's nice. And it's nice to get a home cooked meal and then kind of have that family time again. But I'd be lying if I said I wasn't itching to kind of get going again and, uh, you know, get back at it. Like I said, my my favorite day of the offseason is pitchers and catchers report to Steinbrenner Field. It is very strange. Obviously, you know, we still work in Yankee Stadium even during the offseason and over the last 
two weeks we've been watching because there are TVs on around our desks that are just showing the overhead view of the stadium as they've been turning it into a football field for both the uh, Cortica Jug game that's coming up this weekend between Ithaca and Cortland. And then obviously the, we have the Bad by Mowers pinstripe ball at the end of the year. And it, it just it's like a really, really like on the nose metaphor as you just watch it as like the season ends and suddenly yeah. it's not a baseball field anymore. Um, yeah. So you can't really ignore the season changing, if you will. Last thing I'm, I'm going to ask you and then I'll or maybe I'll make a joke. I don't know. To be determined. But uh, obviously we had the there's plenty of reporting that you're doing. There's plenty of work you're doing behind the scenes. But as I mentioned earlier on Friday, we did have Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman giving their wrap ups. What, if anything, did you leave Yankee stadium that day surprised by intrigued by, um, you know, what was something that maybe you weren't necessarily expecting during that wrap up? Hmm. Um, you know, I, I think it went largely as expected. Um, I, I feel like, I guess my takeaway was that acknowledge the disappointment. They acknowledged that um, they, they, the better team won in the American League Championship Series. And I, I feel like whereas in 2017 and 2019, I, I really felt like and the players felt like they were so close and it got ripped away from them. I feel like this year, and Cashman even talked about this because of the injuries they had, because that they were a decimated roster in a lot of ways. I mean, they were losing relief pitchers. The bullpen looked nothing like they would have expected it to. Uh, going into that ALCS, the Yankees actually viewed themselves as underdogs. Cashman said that. And uh, I feel like that's a position this team, this franchise is not usually in. And um, I think that, to point to injuries alone and say, well, that's the reason. That's not the only reason. But I think that if you did have a healthy DJ LeMahieu, if you did have a healthy Andrew Benintendi, I mean, they had Scott Efros, who they lost to Tommy John surgery. Ron Marinaccio wasn't available. That's part of the game, and you're going to have attrition no matter what after a 162-game schedule. But the Yankees were hit extraordinarily hard, not to even mention guys that they were missing the second half of the year, like a Michael King. Chad Green hardly ever got to, to get going there. There's a ton of them. And I feel like at full strength, this Yankee roster, I don't know if it would have been enough to get past the Astros. I'm, I'm not taking away from them. They are the deserving world champions. They were the best team I saw all year. But in the first half were one of the best teams I saw, have ever seen. And they were on a historic pace. And I, I wish that we could have seen that team over 162. I know that's unrealistic because – uh, for a variety of reasons, and and they were on a, uh, a ridiculous pace there. I never thought they were going to be the 98 Yankees, but I thought they were better than, certainly than what they showed in the ALCS, and uh, they just they didn't have the, the horses to run the race there at the end. It's funny to talk about the season being a failure, and you were four wins away from going to the World Series, but that's the reality we live in here, where um, George Steinbrenner said that, so it was passed down to Derek Jeter, where it was passed down, down to Aaron Judge, and you know, it's championship or bust in the Bronx. And that's the uh, the curve we grade them on. And um, so how do you close the gap between them and the Astros? And that's the question that I, I think that Cashman and Boone have to look in the mirror here and, and figure out. The Astros were clearly better. How do you get there? And I think that's uh, now now the work begins to try and close that gap. It, it is interesting. I think you're exactly right, Brian. And, and 
one thing that I personally keep going back to is just, and whatever, I'm not making excuses for anybody, I, I, whatever. But there was just so much talk, I felt like, man, you know, this team can't win because it doesn't have enough contact hitters. It's not built enough for this, blah, 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 blah. And obviously, first off, I think that's ridiculous in general anyhow. But secondly, it's like, even if this is the argument you want to make, how can you not acknowledge that Andrew Benintendi and DJ LeMayhew were not uh, available? I mean, those are two pretty good yeah. contact hitters that the team, you know, Brian Cashman doesn't have a plan, blah, 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 blah. Well, if your plan is that you want them to have more contact hitters, he got contact hitters. They got hurt. It happens. Mm. And again, that's I'm not making excuses for anybody. I'm not. It's no one has to buy what I'm selling. I don't care. It's just like there's some of this, and and I, I feel like there's a little bit every time we sit in one of these pressers with a manager, even just a regular pregame one, when we're asking 65 questions about stuff, where the answer is usually like, I don't know. We'll see what happens. You know, so much of this is just like. <laughs> Who knows? It's ra- ra- it's a it's a sport with a ton of randomness, probably as much randomness as any sport. And sometimes it just goes wrong. And sometimes it goes right. Sometimes it goes incredibly right. Like it did in the first half of the season for the Yankees. And sometimes it goes incredibly wrong, like it did in the second half of the season for the Yankees. That doesn't mean that statistically it's a middle-of-the-road team. It just means that there's variance. And I don't know. I have a hard time. Maybe it makes me a bad sports fan. Maybe it makes me a bad employee. Maybe it makes me a good employee. I don't know. I have a hard time talking to some people who get so crazy about this stuff that everything has a right and a wrong answer. And it's just like, man, almost none of this has a right or wrong answer. And I've said it before. I'll say it again. Brian, like you said, congratulations to the Astros. They're the world champions. They absolutely deserve it but the ashes went to the alcs six times in a row and they emerged from it with two world series now obviously that's better than the yankees did but even this perfect franchise it's not like they're winning the world series every year there's variance and so again i don't think that's satisfying i don't think that's why people want to listen to a podcast to hear someone say to them like eh. <laughs> but i don't know it's just it's just hard for me to get like so crazed about anything because so much just weird stuff happens. Well, and I think you have to also remember that it doesn't just happen to the Yankees. How many of us thought the Dodgers would have been the National League pennant winners or the Braves or or the Mets? I mean, and those teams all went out early. And who had <laughs> credit to Rob Thompson and, and his staff in Philadelphia, but who had them going to the World Series as, as the pennant winners? I mean, so, uh, yeah, baseball, it, it can take some um, – some crazy bounces at times and you have to have a good team, but more importantly, you have to have a hot team going into the postseason. That's what you saw with Philadelphia there. And the Astros obviously have fi- figured out the formula, but things as small as roof is open in Minute Maid Park can change the outcome of certainly a game. Uh, maybe it doesn't tilt the entire series, but uh, you can't tell me that if that roof wasn't closed, that that ball doesn't get out. Maybe it's a completely different series. I don't know. Uh, the Astros were the better team, no, no doubt about it. But things like that do change uh, the outcomes of games. You get weird hops, you get bounces, you get, uh, you know, a- anything can happen in baseball. And that's why, Susan, you can't predict baseball. And there it is. And obviously, we can't predict the postseason either. We have no idea what's going to happen. But I can tell you that if you want to know what's going on around the Yankees, there's nothing you could do better than to follow Brian Hoke on Twitter or wherever. Every every one of these sources, just follow Brian. Certainly buy his books. We do have the holidays coming up. And after you've already purchased your subscription to Yankees Magazine for your nearest and dearest, I think uh, any backup gifts or people who already have subscriptions to Yankees Magazine, I couldn't possibly recommend anything more than uh, the 
Brian Hoke Library, uh, you know, Baby Bombers, Mission 27, Bronx Zoom, and the soon-to-be, I don't know, released or written or whatever, but 62. Very excited uh, that you came on our podcast to discuss that. Brian, as always, great to hear from you. I hope you get to read a book or something. Keep playing with your kids. You know, lay off the roast pork, and uh, we'll speak to you soon. All right. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Always good. And to all the rest of you, thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast. As promised, we are going to be with you all off season, and we are about to launch our holiday offers, which it's the best time of year for subscribing to Yankees Magazine because you get two free Yankees tickets with it. Let me assure you, there is no cheaper way to get two Yankees tickets than with a $34.99 subscription to Yankees Magazine. So I hope you will take us up on that when that offer launches soon. In the meantime, of course, you can go to yankees.com slash publications or call 800-GO-YANKS. You can buy back issues there. You can subscribe. You can do all kinds of stuff. We're also going to ask, of course, that you follow us on Twitter at Yanks Magazine and like us on Facebook at Yankees Magazine. It's a great place just to follow what we're doing, get some offers when we have them up there. And, you know, you never know what we're going to put up there. So stick with us. Certainly all of our long-form content is available at yankees.com slash magazine. And we hope, that, we hope you'll check that out. Lastly, of course, please write to us, podcast at yankees.com. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you you know want, want us to discuss. Let us know how much more often you want us to bring on Brian Hope. We're open to suggestions. But mostly just let us know how you're doing and what you want to know about the Yankees. That's it for this time. Thanks for listening, and go Yanks. Hi, this is Aaron Hicks. For more stories like this one, subscribe by visiting yankees.com slash publications or by calling 800 go Yanks.